wrestling with waiting. Waiting, we all hate it, yet have to live with it every day. Lines in the grocery store or at petrol stations, lines at government offices or electrical companies. I'm sure that's why fast food is so popular. Even McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken know that people don't want to wait even to have their meals ready. They want to eat and they want to eat now. More than once I've heard people talk about their continuous struggle with the COVID pandemic and they can't wait for it to be over, fearing it might never end. As Christians, we're the same way. We pray and we want to go through God's drive-through and get instant answers. We believe and we want God's plans for us and others to unfold immediately. We don't like waiting either. And only verses like Psalm 27, wait patiently for the Lord, be brave and courageous, or Psalm 62, I wait quietly before the Lord for my victory comes from him, soothes our agitation. But too often we speak like these psalmists. I am worn out with waiting for your rescue. Or how long must I wait? Then disaster happens as Psalm 106 states, yet how quickly they forget what he has done. They didn't wait for his counsel. In the wilderness, their desires ran wild, testing God's patience in that dry wasteland. They made a calf at Mount Sinai. They refused to enter the promised land. Their enemies crushed them. And then because of our impatient mistakes, we cry out again, save us, O Lord our God, gather us back from the nations. As I consider biblical examples of those who didn't want to wait, so many popped up. It even started in the Garden of Eden when Eve was approached by the serpent and deceived her with, you won't die, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. But Eve didn't say, hey, wait a minute, I'll check with Adam to confirm what God said. Nor did she say, hold on, I'll check with God himself when he walks with us in the cool of the evening. She acted rashly and impetuously and for eternity, disaster has struck. And it's not just women who won't wait. What about Abraham? God had spoken clearly to him that he would give him many descendants. Yet when his wife Sarah offered Hagar as her solution for childlessness, Abraham agreed without hesitation or divine consultation. And for millennia, disaster has struck. Jacob too wasn't willing to wait for God's blessing and willingly deceived his father to gain his older brother's birthright, forcing conflict to separate the family for 20 years. Yet it is with Jacob that we learn to wrestle with waiting. You may remember this part of Jacob's story. He's finally heading home with his wives, children, and numerous workers, as well as livestock. He's got a huge entourage with him, but he's afraid. Even though God has told him to return home, and he remembers that at home, there's his brother Esau who left him with these death threats that drove him away from his family. He's afraid that Esau intends to fulfill his threats and attack him once again. So what did Jacob do? Well, he prepared a generous gift in hopes of appeasing his brother with this bounty. He made plans to protect his large family and vast possessions. But this is the most important part. He waited for the Lord and wrestled with God throughout the night. What really happened? Jacob's all alone, just as he was when he set out from his family. 
That first night at Bethel, as he lay down to sleep, he dreamed of God and a stairway to heaven. God spoke his promise of descendants, blessing, presence, and land, saying, I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. When Jacob awoke, he admitted that God was with him and he hadn't even known it. Then he made an offering to the Lord and promised, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, provide for me and I return safely, then the Lord will certainly be my God. At this point, Jacob's commitment was conditional. If you do God, then I will. That doesn't mean that God didn't speak to Jacob and Jacob didn't pray, but he did, but he faced some very great difficulties. Yet God countless times protected him and prospered him in supernatural ways. He even told him when it was time to leave and return to his father's home and protected him when Laban pursued him and accused him of thievery, bringing a peaceful conclusion to their tense encounter. In return, Jacob took an oath before the fearsome God, we're told, of his father Isaac to respect the boundary line. And he offered a sacrifice and invited everyone to a covenant feast. But now by the waters of the Jabbok River, night has fallen again and Jacob is alone once more. He sent his family across to a place of safety and returned to the camp. But at Bethel, Jacob is not alone, for God is with him in that place. Yet it's not a glorious, hopeful dream this time, but an aggressive encounter with the Lord. For a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Jacob is waiting to encounter his brother Esau, who's marching toward him with an army of 400 men. He fully expects a violent reunion, but first... He must meet with God. God will not let him face his past as he was. The supplanter, the heel grabber, the younger son who stole his older brother's birthright and blessing. And so Jacob wrestles with God, refusing to let him go until he blesses him. And what is the blessing given to him? The man asks, what's your name? And Jacob replies, Jacob, heel grabber, deceiver. And the man replies, your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. God's declaring, no longer will you be known for what you did in the past. No longer will you be titled supplanter or deceiver, for I have changed you into a new person. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and new life has begun, we breathe in 2 Corinthians 5. The Lord declares Jacob transformed by the power of God. His new name, Israel, means God rules or God fights. He's no longer Jacob who will fight for his rights, but God will fight on his behalf, overcoming every enemy by the power of the Holy Spirit. For as we read in Ephesians 6, we're not fighting or wrestling against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. 
Jacob wrestled with God in order to surrender his old nature to God and become a new person. He couldn't enter the land promised him as the deceiver he was. He could only enter as a man understanding that he's seen God face to face. He's witnessed both the power and mercy of God, who with but a touch can change the way he walked. So, too, we will no longer walk after the flesh, we read in Romans 8, 1 through 4, or the desires of the flesh, but we walk after the Spirit to do the things of God. As one source indicates, this becomes the turning point in Jacob's life. He's known years of struggling with people, yet all along Jacob's been struggling in his relationship with God. And it's our reconciliation with God which makes possible our reconciliation with others. When Esau meets Jacob the next day, it isn't with aggression or violence, but rather Esau runs to Jacob and embraces him. And thus, with the work God has done with him, Jacob's able to say, what a relief to see your friendly smile is like seeing the face of God. Jacob realizes this isn't the tense reunion that he'd had with his uncle Laban just days before. This is an end to conflict, accusation, and mistrust. This is a complete restoration to a relationship damaged by deception and bitterness, which enables the brothers to part from one another in peace. The fighting with others ended when Jacob stopped fighting with God, when he finally surrendered himself completely to the Heavenly Father who loves him. Bible teacher A.W. Tozer writes, The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. Jacob may have wanted the blessings offered by God at Bethel and gladly received the abundance of wealth and protection in the years that he was with Laban, but he also witnessed time and again the cost of deception and greed. God wanted him to feel the weight of such a life and finally realized that he no longer wanted to be such a man. Thus, as he waited to face his past, he wrestled with God, and it was there God changed him into the man he needed to be to move forward, for he couldn't enter his promised land as the deceiver or supplanter. He had to enter the new land with the name God Rules, a name signifying that he'd given his life completely to God, surrendering all he was and wanted to be and to have in order to be the man God wanted him to be. Then the blessings of God were complete, and he was the new person at last. But this only happens when Jacob ceased struggling, when he acknowledged who he was and God declared, You are this man no more, for I have made you new. And this change was visible, for Jacob would ever walk with a limp. As one source states, prayer still changes the way people walk with God. What about us? Where are we at with God? Are we still at Bethel saying enthusiastically that God is in this place? He is with me. And if he blesses me, then I will serve him. Or are we at Peniel, the place where in our waiting we wrestle with God, acknowledge who we are and surrender that nature to him so can, he can give us a new name, a new character. We can then throw off our old sinful nature and our former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, we can let the Spirit renew our thoughts and attitudes. We can put on our new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. 
let's take that journey to the Jabbok River. Let's meet with God alone and in our waiting, wrestle with him until we surrender all we are to his grace. Amen, beloved. Amen.